Hey, they're pretty good together, right? Yeah, they deserve each other, too. They, they're both got that warped sense of humor that we all love. Um, amen? Thank you, Bethany. Thank you, Drew. Or is it Carrie? I can't remember. What, what's the name? Yeah, I got it. So uh, how many of you like parties? Raise your hand if you like parties. Now, some of you did not raise your hand, so I'm gonna ask you who did not raise your hand, how many don't like parties would you raise your hand? Okay, so some of you will not raise your hand under any circumstances. Is that what I'm to understand this morning? Uh, are you with me on this one? Why? Why? It's, it's the, like the lowest level of participation you can possibly do is to go like this and go like this. Try it again. How many of you like parties? Raise your hand. Better? How many of you don't like parties? Raise your hand. How many of you, raise your hand. How many of you will not raise your hand under any circumstances? Thank you very much. All right, we got it. Um, so we, a few years ago, we decided that we were gonna invite everybody in our cul-de-sac to our house for a party. And these are not our friends. These are not people we socialize with. Uh, in fact, one of them uh, is from, was from Russia, and he is a, a Jew from Russia. The next one was a, um, a, a Muslim family from Syria. Then the next one was Korean family who only knew, uh, the only English word they really knew was kimchi. I mean, that was like, and they had a dog named Laura. I mean, it was just fun. It was a fun thing. And then on the other side of us was uh, a family from Australia. And we said, everybody bring your, your, your native dish to our house, and we're going to kind of be together and enjoy each other's food. And it was all based around Tammy's book, A Taste of Humanity, which is basically an international cookbook of cuisine, and it's got how to host up an international party. So they all came, and it was a lot of fun, and you know, the... Uh, the Korean, he brought kimchi, and then we had hot dogs, and the Australians bring whatever they eat, kangaroo or something, I don't know what they eat. And, uh, and then, uh, and Mike the Russian, I don't know what he brought, but he brought Russian food. Well, Mike the Russian, as I, uh, you know, affectionately call him, he always talks like this, <clears throat> Mike the Russian, you know, and, and uh, so I was coming home from a board meeting, the meeting was going to start that Sunday night, and uh, I got there a little bit late. Party had already started. Mike the Russian's there, and he greets me uh, at my own door. And he goes, <clears throat> where's the vodka? And I go, I go, I don't have any vodka. And he goes, you, you have no vodka. I'm Russian. I go, well, I, I just don't have any vodka. I don't drink vodka. And he goes, I go get vodka. So he goes across the street. He comes back with a bottle of Russian vodka, right? And uh, he goes into my kitchen, helps himself to an 8-ounce or 12-ounce tumbler, and then fills up the entire glass with vodka. Now, I'm not a vodka drinker, but I'm thinking that's too much vodka. Am I right? For those of you who are vodka drinkers, that's too much vodka. He goes, you tried the vodka. I said, okay, I just got home. Let me just kind of wait a minute, you know. And so, uh, so Mike the Russian walks outside, and I pour the vodka on a plant, which died instantly, right? And then, uh, then the woman from Syria, uh, I think her name was Sippy or something like that, and, and she looked very exotic. I mean, she had this beautiful, long, formal kind of green deal and the headdress and the whole thing. And, and of course, they don't drink alcohol. So she goes, um, do you mind if I, no, I, mean, I, get, I gotta get in right voice here. <laughs> do you mind if I smoke the cigarette? The cigarette. And I go, no, you can smoke this, the cigarette, that's fine. And, uh, and so she pulls out this cigarette, you know, holder thing, and then puts a cigarette in it. And she's sitting over there with this cigarette that's like 
14 inches long, right, with a tip on it. And she goes, some people do not like the cigarette. <laughs> and I go, that's, and I got to look, I'm looking at it and I'm going, it looks really cool to smoke right now. <laughs> you know, I don't smoke, I've never smoked. I go like, I kind of like to smoke the cigarette right now <laughs> because it looks so cool, you know. And she says, I love the cigarette, you know. And I'm sitting there going, this is, this is too good. Then the Koreans all excited because everybody's eating the kimchi. Nobody's eating the hot dogs, you know. Yeah, American, you know, she said, look at the kimchi, you know. And, and so when it was all, now remember, so we've got the Russian Jew and the Syrian Muslim who live next door to each other. They had not spoken to each other in the 20 years, not one time, not even waved hello, in the 20 years they had lived next to each other. When the night was over, the Muslim woman was leaving, and she said, tonight, I will never be the same. I will speak to my friend and my neighbor next door. And you realize how easy it is if you take deliberate steps to build relationships and friends with people. And it, it may feel a little bit out of your comfort zone. You may not know how to handle the cigarette. You may not know how to handle the vodka. But you find ways to build bridges in the lives of people for one real reason, and that is to love them. If you make your first agenda to love people and not to get them to church or not to get them to believe what you believe, but to truly love them, you're going to carry out the life of Jesus Christ in an amazing way. And they're going to build, they're going to know that love. They're going to trust you in relationship and they're going to be more open to listen to your message about faith. Amen. So today I'm going to, yeah, put your hands together for that. That's so today I'm going to talk to you about throwing a party. It uh, may not be a, a typical sermon, right? Or would you agree? But it's actually in the Bible. It's actually in the book of Luke chapter 5. We're going to get to that in a moment, where there's a guy named uh, Levi, who we also know as Matthew, the tax collector, who actually throws a party for all of his friends. So let me, let me kind of set that up with a couple of thoughts as we get into the message today. The first one is, you need to be intentional. That is, develop intentional friendships with unbelievers. You have to be intentional about it because the longer you know, uh, you, you know the Lord, the longer you're in this Christian community, the less and less unchristian friends you have in your life. And those numbers diminish over time. And we find ourselves getting in these little holy huddles and we're all content just to kind of talk to our friends and talk about the stuff that we typically talk about instead of really building a relationship with people with a motive of to love them, just to love people and do what Jesus did as he carried out his ministry. The second thought is this one, is to be innovative and creative with biblical principles. You know, the Bible doesn't change. The Bible is always relevant. It never goes out of date. But the way that we apply those to life, the way that we set those up in a person's life can make all the difference in the world for them going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. And make it easy for them, first of all, to belong into your circle of friendship and then to believe. And just remember that. If I belong first, if I feel at home, it's easy for me then to believe what you are talking about in my life. I mean, think about a person who's never gone to church, has no concept of what that's like, and there are people like that, a lot of them. Imagine, let's just put it in another scenario. Let's suppose your next-door neighbor is Buddhist, 
And he comes over to you and he goes, hey, we're having a, 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 a friend day at the Buddhist temple. Everybody gets to rub the belly of the Buddha. I mean, you know, whatever, however they, they do that, right? It's friend day at the Buddhist temple. What goes through your mind? Well, I don't know about you. What goes through my mind is we're probably gonna have to get in the lotus position. Can I do that? That's my first step, right? If I get in the lotus position, will I ever get out of the lotus position? They're gonna burn incense. I know they're burning incense. Something's gonna happen there. So if you kind of think about another culture, sometimes it helps you to, to kind of help build the bridge into this culture of Jesus Christ. So be creative with biblical principles. Next, seize opportunities because they don't always last. Have you ever had that time where your friend kind of handed around the God thing and you didn't know how to handle it, so you kind of thought, uh, let me prepare for that for the next time. But the next time didn't come. It wasn't as easy. It would have been contrived or forced if you'd have talked about it later. But that was just the perfect moment. It's almost like the Spirit of God put the timing and the, and the situation together in such a way for you to speak to them about, about, their, about the Lord, about their soul, about life, and about eternity. I love this uh, quote from Mark uh, Middleburg. He said, unconventional approaches that have strategically mixed the spiritual haves and have-nots are not merely acceptable. They're essential to God's redemptive efforts. You have to think about how do I bring unbelievers and believers together in a way that everybody does good, feels at home, doesn't feel judged, feels loved, and, and make that... A, kind of an object of your life. You know that, that our mission is the mission of Jesus, that is to seek and to save that which is lost? Our job is to go out and say, hey, have you heard about this great relationship with God? And if you do that in the right way, the right setup in a trusted situation, you'd be surprised how many people would say yes. I, I think one of the stats is some that, like 90% of the people, if asked by a friend to go to church, they would go. 90%, you got a pretty good chance that your friends are gonna go, okay. If you really get desperate like me, all right, this is what I did to a couple of my friends already this week. I said, look, we're having friend day. It's gonna be super embarrassing if I don't have any friends there. All right? And just say, hey, just come with me and you can sit in the back in case things go south. Um, come late, that way you miss the offering, right? And don't fill out anything ever because you'll have like a team of elders at your door instantly, right? And, and, but if you, if you kind of make light of it, because what are your great fears in going to church? The great fear is, what if I don't like it? How do I get out, right? What, all they want is my money. Well, they're gonna come see me and visit me and corral me. Take away the things that people fear, make fun of it, and enjoy it. Just enjoy the whole experience. So here's what I found, that people are generally interested in the works of God. You know, people aren't crazy about religion, but they're generally interested in the works of God. When I start talking to people and I say, I tell them about somebody that's been healed, all right, outside of the medical profession, that Christ really healed somebody, they perk up and listen. They wanna know about that because it's about the works of God. And so when you begin to talk about things like that, they're going, really? Wow, that's amazing. And then you begin to show them the prayer wall or talk to them about the prayer wall. And you know, we've got somewhere around, we don't know exactly, somewhere around 65 to 80,000 prayer requests in that prayer wall in the front foyer. 
Well, those are heartbeats from people's lives. Those are tears and joys that people have written down on a piece of paper, stuck in the wall with the hope and the expectation that God is gonna come through. And when you see God come through and you hear testimony of God coming through, that, that, that wall becomes a point of faith. It's a touch point of faith where you walk up to it, you put your hand there and go, I'm not alone in praying. God does stuff like that. Let me show you the scripture in, in Luke to begin to set up the story. It says, after these things, and I'm gonna talk about what things they were in just a moment. After these things, he went out, that is Jesus, and saw a tax collector. I think it's interesting how scripture says he saw him. Remember, people crowded around Jesus all the time, but it says he saw this one person named Levi, a tax collector. He was sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he left all and followed him. Now, that's amazing in and of itself, isn't it? Remember, tax collectors in those days were not liked at all because they would collect what Rome would require, but then they could collect as much as they could get out of you above that, so they were always scamming people for taxes. And so here, this hated guy in society is now noticed by the most followed human being on planet Earth in that moment. Rome was electrified with the presence of Jesus. Miracles untold were being spoken. The Jews themselves were saying, never has a man spoken like this before. Who is this? Rumors of him being the Messiah were spread everywhere. And now the guy who felt hated, for good reasons, by the way, Levi, because he was a thief, was now being identified by the most beloved person on planet Earth in that moment. It got his attention. He didn't judge him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't say, you're a bad tax collector. No, he brought him in. You know, we've been talking about this price that we pay to follow Jesus and how we've become kind of Christian light in our world in terms of commitment, that we're really not pursuing God maybe as hard as we should. And I was speaking out at Palm Desert this weekend, and a guy walked up to me, and he said to me, hey, you know, the climate is changing for Christianity in America pretty rapidly in terms of just anti-Christian sentiment. What do we do to prepare? And I said, you know, we're in this kingdom discipleship series and we're kind of challenging people. We've been talking about the underground church in China and the underground church in, in North Korea and different places. And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna, in December, we're gonna have, uh, the first week in December, we're gonna have a, uh, a training time for our discipleship material. And we're gonna try to reenact as much as we can the mindset and the setting of the underground church. And it's gonna be a limited group. Uh, we're, we're probably gonna limit to about 100 people can be a part of that. But, but I was talking about this training and this loving and, and this commitment to Christ and, I, and, and just doing actually what he said to do. And I came across this video by Francis Chan and he talks about his experience in the underground church and I wanna direct your eyes to the screen. Let's watch this little clip. Man, when we, were in, when we were in China, you know, we went to the underground church. I always wanted to see what is that like, what is, what is it really like? And we went to this, uh, this training uh, thing for, for, for underground uh, church leaders that, that wanted to be missionaries and go to the Middle East and everywhere else. And, you know, and the leader was saying, yeah, we'll, we'll take you there, but we can't take your whole family. It's just kind of crazy. It's, it, you know, it could be a little dangerous. And so I said, all right, all right, I'll just take my oldest daughter. She's the most expendable. We'll, we'll go and we'll go hang out and... 
So we go, we walk in, and you ever been in one of those places where it's just filled with the Spirit? Like you just walk in, you hear the prayers of the people, the, the, the singing, the crying, the weeping, the intensity of prayer, and you go, man, this is nuts. This is, an, and, and, and so I'm supposed to speak, and again, do you know how embarrassing it is to speak at places like that, where you go, I, I don't know, I don't know what you guys go through, man, I don't, I haven't touched it. And I said, can you guys please just teach me instead? Can you please tell me stories of your persecution? And they, and they, weren't, they weren't like tripping out over me. They, they're just like, why, why do you want to hear this stuff? I go, well, they, they said, everyone gets persecuted. I go, no, not everyone. I, I said, you know, not where I come from. And I said, so tell me stories. And they're telling me stories of, of government coming and, and guns going off and them running for their lives or hiding. And I'm just sitting there like a little kid just going, wow, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. And different people would just stand up, oh, one time this happened, one time this happened. And I'm just, you know, my daughter and I, you know, our eyes are as big as mine get. You know, it's just like, whoa, you know, like, wow, this is, this is ridiculous. This is, this is insane. And, and again, they were just so confused by me. They're like, why do you like this so much? And, and I, go, I go, you got to understand where I come from. I, I said, see, in America, we have these buildings in our cities called churches. And we just do services in, on them and, you know, in them. And so people just, they go and attend a service. And uh, it's just like an hour, maybe an hour and a half a week. And, and if uh, another church has a better speaker, they'll switch, you know? And, uh, and I said, or if the music's better or childcare is better. And this, is, this was the weirdest part of it. They started laughing hysterically. I mean, it wasn't like, haha, or all oh, that's sad, or are oh, you kidding? I mean, hysterically, to where my daughter Rachel afterwards, like, Dad, was that the weirdest thing? I go, yes. <laughs> She goes, they were like laughing, thinking you're the funniest guy on earth. They're just, and I wasn't trying to be funny, you know. It, 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 it was just one of those times where they're laughing hysterically because they're going, how did you get that from this? Are you kidding me? You, that's what you guys do? And, 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 and it just confirmed. I just went away. I go, exactly. See, that's what I always thought too. It's kind of sobering, isn't it? I mean, you have to, somewhere along the line, you have to ask yourself the question, am I really following Jesus? Or am I following religion? Am I following my culture? Am I following, what am I following? What's my life all about? Am I really, really following this book? And why am I such a lightweight in the spiritual realm that I just get, easily offended and hurt, or I can find a million reasons not to go to church. And I, and I, and I, and I connect with God and I serve God if it's convenient, and, and God becomes this God of the leftovers. Whatever's left over, I give to God. I don't ever give him my best. And it, it's just a call to discipleship, a call to commitment that I think we need to grapple with in our life. Um, it said after these things, what were the things that they noticed that, that, that happened prior to this? And in, in Luke 5 and v verse 5 through 8, it, it was this Peter and, and his friends were out in the boat and they were fishing. 
And Jesus is in the boat with them now, and, and he says to them, launch out into the deep and cast your nets. And they said, Jesus, we fished all night, and there's no fish out here tonight. They're not biting, in other words. He says, launch out in the deep, and Peter says, at your word, we will. And so they launched out in the deep, and they threw the nets over, and all of a sudden, the fish somehow got in the nets, and it was such a great catch that it said when they pulled it into the boat, the boat began to sink. And there was this instant recognition, you're God, aren't you? Your works are confirming who you say you are. And then the next story is a cleansing of a leper. And it's interesting because the religious people in this scene, in, in this scene they're, they object to the fact that Jesus wants to bring healing to this leper. Send him to the doctor or send him outside the city. Put him in isolation. But don't heal him. Don't let that happen. That's a little too radical, isn't it? I mean, heal people, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the call of God on our life to bring healing to people? And then the next story is a crippled man. And this crippled man is, you know, he's suffering and he's in agony, he's in pain. And, and again, the religious people, they're upset. Don't leave the crippled guy alone. Tell him it was a sin in his life that did that. Tell him that God doesn't love him and he's punishing him because his father sinned. Do something, but don't heal him. And so he heals him. And then comes this next story with, with Levi, the tax collector. And as you begin to engage in this, you realize an encounter with Jesus Christ changes your perspective. When you really encounter Jesus, your perspective on life changes. It's not when you encounter church. It's not when you encounter uh, you know, religion. It's when you encounter Jesus Christ, your perspective must change. So it begs the question, have you encountered Jesus and if you have, has your perspective changed in life? Is the call of God on your life greater now because you encountered him, or have you lost sight of who he is? Do, do, the, do the words come to your mouth, my Lord and my God, when you think of Jesus, what do you want me to do? And that was the call, and, and in verse 29, it says, then Levi, notice what happens. He says, come follow me. He gets up, he leaves his tax office, and he says, come follow me. And it says in verse 29, and Levi gave him a great, great feast. He threw a party in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and other people who I might parenthetically add who society didn't like. And they sat down with him. Now imagine this scene. Here's tax collector, public enemy number one. His friends who are tax collectors and all the guys they hang out with, and Jesus. And somehow, it was a safe environment for them. Make the environment safe to hear about Jesus. Whenever I try to tell people, uh, get in a religion talk, it always ends poorly. Whenever I get in a Jesus talk, it always, always ends well. When I say to people, and sometimes it's shocking, I hate religion, they look at me like, well, you're a pastor. I know, that's why I hate religion, but I love Jesus. You see, when I get on the Jesus level, don't you like what Jesus did? Oh yeah, Jesus, I like what Jesus did. And, and if you can get there, then it's easier to move down the road of a relationship with the Jesus that they can tolerate at least at first until they love him, right? 
everyone loves a party except here. Some of you don't love parties. That's because you've been going to boring parties. Look, look at your friend, look at your neighbor, look at your spouse, and say, we're not going to any more boring parties. We have to learn how to love parties. We gotta up our party game this Christmas, amen? Everybody's got that one Christmas party you get invited to, you go, oh no, they're gonna invite me again. What can we do on that night, right? All right, I'm just kidding. So, a couple of years ago, we, we traveled to India and Ethiopia, and we had a pretty unique experience, and it was all kind of built around this book, A Taste of Humanity, that we've been talking about. And so we went into Ethiopia, and we were able to speak there to, uh, to the embassy personnel and the UN and the World Food Bank kind of people and host a dinner uh, around the idea that food can bring people together. And then we went over to India and brought, down, uh, brought together a, uh, a lower caste, uh, a delete, an untouchable, and with an upper caste over a meal. And Tammy hosts this, so turn your eyes to the screen. Hi, I'm Tammy Hudson Pillar, and welcome to Taste of Humanity. Okay, guys, how are we doing? Everybody tasting some humanity? Well, tell me what you have on your table. What are you tasting? Chickpeas, fried onions, tomato sauce, and a dressing with human vinegar and lime juice. What is that? No, this is George and Aubergine. My vision for Taste of Humanity is to bring together families, communities, and cultures to break down the barriers that divide us. I really believe that sitting down at a table with someone, breaking bread with someone, that is the first step really to understanding the differences that divide so many people, whether it's in your family, in your neighborhood, around the world. We deal with divisions that we all fear, racism, religion, cultural differences. I'm from Sri Lanka. And uh, the island has been at war for about 40 years now. And the main division between the two groups is um, that the Tamils are predominantly Hindu and the Sinhalese are predominantly Buddhist. Color divides people in Britain, without a doubt. Um, and class divides people in Britain. The Catholics, you had the Protestants, the liberals, and socialists. We're so diverse. We have so many religions, so many languages, different kinds of food. My country, back home, uh, we are a mixture of different, uh, let's say, if I may say, ethnic groups in the provinces. And in, in my country, we speak uh, actually the four languages. But what really unites us uh, back, back home, that's the food. Today, we're here in India. Tonight, I'm actually in Ethiopia, Africa, Dubai. Los Angeles, California. Today, we'll be hosting a dinner for two families that are divided by the caste system. Good to meet you. Thank you for coming. Hello. Chilpa. Thank you so much for coming. Hello. So I'm here with these two couples. There's obvious tension in the room. You could see the tension the moment the two couples came together. I am trying so hard to find some commonality with these two people. So you could actually teach and help our friend here, Shippa, since you have an older child and she has a younger child. I'm hoping to just bridge this 3,000 years of, of division. There is change coming. And tonight, it started with a handshake. I really believe that sitting down at a table with someone, breaking bread with someone, can actually help you to understand firsthand where they're coming from. Food drops a barrier. 
it drops a barrier between people, it drops a barrier between um, classes or castes or colours or whatever. Yeah, I, I think food is definitely an opener of doors. When we all sit around a table sharing food, we all realise we're actually quite similar. You know, if we can sit down and eat together and we can be friends, you know, I think it's, it's the beginning, definitely. Because each nationality, each, each nation has its own ingredients, they have their way of preparing the food. So it's always good to taste the food. So I do believe that when you taste the food, you get some small part of the spirit of the country. So what is Taste of Humanity? It's opening your mouth and your heart to the cultures and cuisines of the world and receiving them and the changes they could bring to you personally. All right. That's good, huh? So the gospel works best through relationships. The people you already have a relationship, they will listen to the gospel. If you will just speak it out, if you'll just make it easy for them to come into relationship with God, you'd be surprised what you can say and how it works. You see, because religion divides, but Jesus unites. In the story, in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, it says, and the scribes and the Pharisees complain. Now, these were the religious people. They're upset against the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you think you got it all together, Jesus can't get through to you. If you're self-righteous or wound up in religion, it's hard to hear from Jesus. You know, when I talk to people, it's, it's pretty common when I'm talking about Christ and I say, well, you know, the Bible says that we've all sinned. About half of the people will say to me, well, I've never sinned. And they're serious because in their mind, the word sin means some heinous sin against society. So I gotta dumb it down a little bit. So I go, have you ever lied? Oh, yeah. That's a sinner. Oh. Now we got him on sin 101, okay? Have you ever thought an evil thought? Oh, yeah, okay, 201. If I keep going here, we can make you into a super sinner. It's not hard to do, right? And, and, and helping people to understand some of the concepts we use and put it in a way that they can bite into that makes it a lot easier. When you ask a person something like this, if you, if you died today and you stood before God and he looked you in the eye and he asked you this question, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? When you ask a person without faith that question, most will say either I don't know what I would say or I've been a good person. Neither of which is the answer. The answer is there was a time in my life when I recognized that I was a sinner, that Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And I put my faith in Jesus and he saved me. He rescued me out of that. Out of the love that he has for me, he saved me. And I really experience that now on a daily basis. You see, focus on Jesus when you talk to people. Just focus on Jesus. It's always good to have a little disclaimer, too, if you're a little intimidated, and say, look, I'm going to tell you right up front, 
I don't have all the answers to all the questions you're gonna bring. I don't know the Bible all that well, but what I do know is I know the love of Christ, and with that, I'll give you. Now, you're kind of off the hook. You're not like the expert Bible guy. So I told you last week about my neighbor inviting me down to the party. His name is Joe, and so Joe called me up or texted me this week, this past week, and he said, hey, what are you doing on, and I think it was Wednesday, Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning. I said, um, I don't know what. He says, well, come down for a cup of coffee. We're shooting a commercial at my, uh, at my house for this guy's business, and I want you to, I think you'd enjoy it. Come on down. So I go down there, and, and uh, you know, they've got all this crew there and all these cameras, and we're just talking, and we get to talk, and he goes, yeah, you know, I got this friend who's a Bible thumper. I'm thinking, what am I, right? I'm like, super Bible thumper, I don't know. Bible thumper with index and ribbons, I don't know, but it's a better Bible thing, right? And I go, really, Bible thumper, imagine that. And I go like, why do you call him a Bible thumper? Well, he builds these houses uh, down in Mexico for people, and he's he's a Christian, and he does it because of Christ. I go, oh, that's cool. He said, yeah, it's really cool. He said, in fact, I took my construction crew down there. We built houses with them a couple of years ago. Wow. And I'm sitting in my mind, I'm thinking, he's not far from the kingdom. And I talked to him a little bit more, and I said, you know, Joe, I got a couple of resources I want to drop off at your house. Is that okay? Got a couple of CDs from our band and, and a workbook I just did on kingdom discipleship and one of my books. And could I, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, drop it off my house. So I dropped off the house, and he got back to me. He said, hey, I got it after I left for Chile, but I'll, I'll be back on the 20th. So Missed out on my friend day invite. But anyway, um, I'm sowing seed. I'm focused on Jesus. Um, admit you don't have it all together. It's really powerful. Really powerful. And then remember that seeking hearts will always listen. People are seeking out for God. They'll listen to you if you make it, if you bring it in a compelling way that demonstrates love in their life. Just make it compelling and loving, and you'd be surprised how far down the road you can get. Let me tell you one of the greatest victories of your life is when you bring someone to church or you lead someone to church. What a victory, and you never know how close they are. I was getting a haircut a couple of years ago. I sat down, and, and this guy had been cutting my hair for a few years, and I sat down in the, in the, in the chair, and um, he goes, okay, before we get started, can you tell me how to be born again? What? This is too easy. No, I'm not telling you that easy. You have to grapple for this. You're not ready yet. You have to come to church and complete 400 Sunday school classes or something. No, I said, yeah, really? Because I'm thinking a saved barber might even actually give me a better haircut. So uh, you're... so he, he received Christ right there, standing there, preparing me for a haircut. Then I got a haircut. I didn't see that coming. Do you realize that it's not about you? It's about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says no man can come to the Father except the Spirit of God draw him. You don't know who the Father's drawing, but get out there with some love. Be ready. Amen? Amen? All right, I want you to stand with me to, right now. and I'm gonna, I just wanna pray over you a prayer of just uh, encouragement that you're going to 
uh, and power over you that you're, this week, you're gonna, your mind's gonna begin to race with who could I invite and how could I begin to build bridges and who could I love? Love into the kingdom of God, amen? So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for every person in this room that you're going to bring a name or two, maybe more, to every heart in this room. Someone that they could invite, someone that needs a touch of God, someone that needs to know the love of Christ. And bring them on that day, Father. I pray for courage and power and strength and wisdom to be imparted right now on every person and a sense of purpose and a sense of destiny in a person's life. If you receive that, would you say, I receive that? Just say it out loud, I receive that. Just say it out loud, I receive that. Now, just keep your heads bowed. I wanna, I wanna address those of you who may not know Christ, and today you said, you know, I came in here not knowing the answer to the question, what would I do if I stood before God? What answer would I give? Or I'm uncertain in my eternal destiny, and I don't want you to leave here without an opportunity to receive the love of God. So right where you stand or sit, you can, you can repeat this prayer out loud. It's, it's my words, but it has to be your faith connected with these words. So pray like this, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. He rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. By faith, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord, as my Savior. Write my name in the book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, before we finish this prayer in your own words, would you just thank him for saving you? If that was your prayer, would you just thank him in your own words? Something simple, just thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If that was your prayer, would you just slip your hand up just so I could I'd identify with you this morning? God bless you, anyone else? Amen, God bless you, amen. Anyone over here, God bless you. God bless you, I see you over there, God bless you. Hey, the good news is, all who call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, here's the promise, will be saved, amen? Isn't that good news? Hey, when you called on the name of the Lord, he saved your soul. Let's sing together, let's rejoice, give him glory for what he's done today, amen?